following teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. Many of you guys probably heard about that school in Oregon. Junior high girls who were experiencing what it was like to come into the flower of life. And they discovered this amazing world called makeup. And so the girls would go into the girls' restroom and fool around with their new lipstick and then the latest trends and colors. But the problem was is they would practice using that lipstick by kissing the mirror. So they would get lipstick all over the mirror, and uh, the custodian had a hard time spending so much time every single day cleaning that mirror off. He mentioned it to the principal, and she wanted very much to try to stop the problem to save her custodian from extra work. So she made announcements, she put out flyers, no matter what she did, the lipstick phenomenon continued. So they finally sort of isolated the group of girls that were probably doing it. And so the principal had had enough. So she went and grabbed those girls and brought them all, marched them all into the girls' bathroom along with the custodian and, and told them, this, this has to stop, this is way too much work. So if you want to confess it right now, that would go a lot better for you. And the girls just giggled, no one volunteered any confession. So the principal says, okay, if you're not going to confess, I at least need you to realize how much extra work our custodian has to go through to clean this off. So she looked over Mr. Brown, Mr. Brown, please show these girls how much time and effort it takes to clean off the lipstick from the mirror. So he he nodded in in agreement, and he reached over to his tools and grabbed a long handle brush and went over to the toilet and dipped the brush in the toilet and went over to the mirror and cleaned it all off. They never had a problem after that again. Now, sometimes when you want the result, you have to figure out what it would take to get those results. So at least for that particular problem, it was resolved very nicely. Uh, once there were two brothers, uh, one was bright and one was not very bright, and the not-so-bright brother, he lost his dog and went all over town trying to find it with uh, no results. So his bright brother says, well, why don't you put an ad in the paper? It's a small town. You should get some results as a result of that. So he put it in, an ad in the, in the paper, and uh, after two weeks of roaming around still not finding his dog, his brother says, well, no results from the ad? And his not-so-bright brother says, no. He says, well, what did you say in the ad? And the not-so-bright brother said, here, boy, here, boy. <laughs> Sometimes if you want a particular result, you've got to think through the process in order to accomplish those amazing purposes. There was an elderly senior man who was a widower, so he decided to downsize. He found the perfect house for himself, a very quiet neighborhood, so he bought the house. The problem was, of course, he bought it in the summer when it was quiet all over the place, forgetting that uh, maybe the larger context, he should have looked across the street where there was a junior high school. So when the school year started, it was incredibly noisy and very busy with a lot of kids. And after school, a group of boys would always go past his house down the alley, and they'd pick up sticks, and they'd start beating on these aluminum garbage cans and made such a racket. And they'd use the lids as symbols and had a lot of fun yelling and screaming and just disturbed not only his neighborhood but him especially because he's right there by the alley so one day he thought through the whole process went out there to greet these kids as they're coming hey kids hey i really like what you guys do you got a lot of rhythm 
hey, I used to do that when I was a kid. Say, tell you what, I like it so much, I want to pay you guys. I want to pay you guys five bucks each to do this every single day. Every week I'll pay you five bucks. So uh, the kids thought, man, this is fabulous. They're going to do it anyway. So they, they played their musical noise every single day. At the end of the week, the man went out with a big smile and said, hey, that was a great week of playing. Here's five bucks. And see you next week. And the kids were thrilled. They got the money. The next week they came along every single day playing, beating on those uh, aluminum garbage cans, making all the noise. At the end of the second week, the, the, the man came out and said, look at guys, I really like the music and everything, but man, my social security check didn't come in. So all I can give you now is 25 cents a piece. So they handed out the quarters, and these guys looked at the quarters. He says, well, we'll see you next week. And the kids looked at him and says, for a lousy quarter? No way. And they never played again. There's something about the results and thinking through what's necessary to get the ultimate result that you want. Have you ever thought, what does God want as far as results in our life? If you think about that kind of question, God puts us on this earth and leaves us here with his spirit indwelling us, and he wants a particular result from us. Then he's going to customize that particular scenario so that we can emerge the kind of man that God wants us to be. God wants the result of a godly person in us, in our life, and he's going to give to us an amazingly customized life in order to achieve that result. It may not come right away like a lot of these situations. doesn't come right away, but every single step, each and every single day, leads us to the point, if we obey God, becoming the kind of person he wants us to be. Well, we have an amazing passage of Scripture here in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 44. And that's the scenario that I believe that God is trying to present to us. He is trying to get certain results, not by circumstance, but by the lives of people. Some he elevates and says, this is what I want. Others he looks at and says, I need to challenge you here. And still others say, I need to correct you here. From that particular scenario, the common denominator is, these are the results that God wants from all of us. In a particular situation here, Jesus Christ is talking to a group of people, a religious leadership called the Sadducees. They don't believe in the resurrection, so they're trying to trip up Jesus Christ, assuming that what they believe is true and that Jesus Christ then could not give them a viable answer with regard to marriage. So if a woman was married and her husband died and she remarried her brother because of the Leverite concept of perpetuating the family name and he died and so on and so on until he had she had seven husbands and they asked the question in the resurrection whose whose wife would she be and so of course if you don't believe in the resurrection it's a complicated question with no real answer because that's exactly what the Sadducees thought they were giving Jesus and Jesus says you don't know the word because in heaven there is no marriage and suddenly, one of the people who had been listening on the outside, who was not a part of the Sadducees, compliments Jesus and says, you have answered these men very wisely. And he said, well, answer this question then for me, which is the greatest commandment? So obviously this guy was not a Sadducee. But very likely he was a Pharisee who was opposed politically and religiously to the Sadducees, very legalistic. He says, which of all the commandments is the greatest? He knew by his own personal experience 
that the nation of Israel had had these religious leaderships. And the religious leadership were trying to tell the people how to live in such a way to please God. They had taken the law of Moses and they had complicated it by making it, explaining it in several ways, suggesting that there were 248 commandments out of this small list that they should do, and then also 365 things that they should not do. Now, one of the problems that they have is that sometimes because these were man-made explanations of the Mosaic law, there was natural conflict. A couple of commandments that they would have for a particular situation that an individual was in, and they would try to figure out as an individual, which commandment do I follow? Here's one that says this, and here's one that says this, and they're both related to my situation, but it's complicated. Now, if I do this one, then I'm violating this one. So they're saying to themselves, which one is the greater? Because we want to obey the greater command of these conflicting commandments, and the lesser one we will ignore, be guilty of it, but then our penalty would be less. So the Pharisees were constantly trying to help people sort out which is the greater commandment and which was the lesser commandment, especially when they came into conflict with a person's particular situation. So that's why the Pharisee was coming to Jesus and saying, which is the greatest commandment? He was trying to get Jesus into a complicated situation that they themselves could not resolve. As a result of this, Jesus Christ identifies two commandments. And those two commandments are amazing with regard to love God and then love your neighbor. The Pharisee was so impressed that again complimented Jesus and says, you have chosen well. The love is better than to obey these sacrifices in the commandments. As a result of that, Jesus Christ compliments him and says to him, you are not far from the kingdom. Very complimentary in tone, but also very factual with this result. You're close, but no cigar. You have seen with good discernment spiritual things, but you yourself still are not in the kingdom. Now, probably if we were to think about the results that God wants from us from a passage of Scripture like this as it stares us in the face this morning, God wants to make sure that each one of us has an individual, personal, eternal relationship with Him. It's not a matter of going to church. It's not a matter of being religious. It's a matter of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not about what we do. It's not about the circumstances. It's about a personal relationship. Make sure, guys, that that is solid between you and Jesus Christ. As a result of this, there is another thought that comes along the line, and that is stubborn men. And Jesus Christ has been fielding questions from all these religious leaders for a number of situations. And now Jesus Christ, at this particular juncture, turns on the offensive. If you didn't notice that before, pay attention to how Jesus Christ responds. He's out there serving the people. He's getting pelted with questions and accusations and subtleties from all the religious leaders. Now Jesus Christ turns the table for the very first time. He now gives them a particular question, and he asks them what they need to say to him. So on this particular offensive note, Jesus Christ proposes a complication for the Pharisees. He doesn't just bring it out of thin air, but he takes them right to the scriptures in Psalm 110, which all the Pharisees, all the Sadducees know that this is a messianic psalm, a psalm talking about the coming Messiah. And so Jesus Christ asks them, why in the world does David call the Messiah Lord 
which would suggest then that he would have a son that would refer to the father, not in respect, but the father referring to the son with great respect. This is unheard of in the Jewish culture. Why would a father bow down to his son and call his son Lord? That particular question just shocks the Pharisees because they've had those scriptures around a long time. And they've recognized that this is a messianic psalm. And now Jesus Christ is presenting to them a very interesting thought. Someone comes from the outside, someone who's new, someone who's younger. Why would those who are older, wiser, with positions of great influence, refer to someone younger and give that individual high respect and high regard? Because that's exactly what the Pharisees and the Sadducees did not want to do. They did not want to submit or recognize that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And Christ asked them a question that forces them to consider their stubborn spirit of not regarding someone like Jesus as Messiah. If David did, why in the world wouldn't you? David called the Messiah his Lord, even though the Messiah came from David's lineage. The Messiah was both someone from the lineage of David, but at the same time, the quality that God sent his one and only son to, prompt, to serve as a promise to all these words given by David and Abraham. It's an amazing concept when the Pharisees could not answer out of their own stubbornness to hold their position of influence. The last story that we have here in this trio of events at the end of chapter 12 is an amazing one. It's the widow and her mighty might. In the court of women there at the temple, there were 13, 13 receptacles for people to put in their free will offerings. And they were all shaped out of metal, and they were shaped like the, the, the horn of a trumpet. And if you threw in coins, they would rattle around as they made their way down to the bottom of the trumpet uh, receptacle, and they would make a lot of noise. So the wealthy people, they would come in, and they would use a lot of coins, and they would just dump them in these trumpets, so that they would make a lot of noise and call a lot of attention to them giving their gifts. And then out of this process, Jesus Christ is watching this whole thing happen with his disciples. He doesn't pay any attention to those who are wealthy, call a lot of attention to themselves, make a big deal about them giving their gifts. But when a widow kind of slips in, unobserved, obscure, and she slips in just these Two little coins, copper coins, the smallest that's possible, look just like these. They're probably only worth, in equivalency for today, about an eighth of a penny. Each one of these things, an eighth of a penny. And Jesus Christ compliments her and doesn't point to the wealthy, but instead that this poor widow attracts the attention of Jesus Christ. Giving is seen by people is not highly regarded by God. If we give so that people are impressed by what we give up, God is not highly impressed. But there's something very special about this woman whose faith is now being demonstrated. For the little that she gave was all that she had. And so by giving up what she possessed, she now had to trust God by faith to provide for her food for that day. And Jesus Christ commended her for this because her giving came from who she was. When God wants particular results from us, 
It's not because we are then going to be able to give to him anything that would be impressive to people. But it's who we are before the Lord that God is very impressed. When God wants results from your life, he wants a godly man, someone who touches the lives of other people in his name, and you do it not for what you gain, but instead for what you can reflect about who God is to you. I want to introduce you to a guy, and, and he's a special fellow to me. His name is Mike Feasy. And it, it's amazing to me that he and I have this connection because we men are not like women. Women, on an average, evangelical women, they have anywhere from three to four close friends that if a disaster occurred in their life, they, knew that they, could, they know that they can call one of these three or four friends. But the average evangelical man has less than one one friend that they could call upon in a time of emergency. And it's so small and so minuscule that the average evangelical man has zero friends that they could call in a time of an emergency. I'll call the church, I'll call official calls, but as far as a close friend that they can call and say, hey man, I've got this situation, I really need to get together with you. Most of us as guys, we don't have anybody. The Lord has blessed me in my life with four guys and I describe them, and we describe each other in our friendship, as we would be able to, without a question, take a bullet for the other guy. If they were in danger, we would jump in front of a firing gun so we could save that person's life. Got a great friend like that in Oregon, and one here in Texas, and two in Michigan, and Mike's one of these kinds of guys. And we, we would get together on Thursday mornings. He and I would get together at a restaurant and study God's Word for the explicit purpose of how do we become better godly men and husbands for our wives, and fathers for our kids. He's a very talented man. WJR is the, uh, one, of the, one of the few clear channel radio stations in the United States. So if any disaster occurs, all the smaller stations shut down, and these clear channel stations broadcast news and information to the citizens of the United States. Mike was the president of WJR. He was, he was in that position when ABC owned them, he was in that position when uh, Disney bought them out. He was in that position when uh, Cigna bought them out. More and more liberal the owners became, but Mike just held his line as far as quality radio control, and it became incredibly popular, very powerful in the state of Michigan. Uh, Disney wanted to set up a new radio station to broaden their broadcast of their children's programs and teenage programs that they were experimenting on. So they did a, a study of the Detroit area where WJR was, and they found a, the exact place where they needed to put up a new radio tower to expand their reach and their broadcast. And they're trying to figure out, well, man, that, that's right in the middle of several thousand acres owned by a family for four generations. How in the world are they going to sell an acre and a half to a conglomerate like us? Well, we've got to send somebody in there to do this. So they sent Mike. Mike puts on his most comfortable pair of blue jeans and pulls on his cowboy boots and drives up to the house and knocks on the door. Never met this farmer ever in his entire life. And no one really knows how long Mike was there, but when he left that house, Mike had made the sale for the acreage that they needed at the location they needed. But he not only made the sale, he made a lifelong friend in that farmer. That's the kind of guy Mike was. He got the job done. And everybody who was involved was always satisfied and happy. Well, Mike and I, every once in a while, we'd realize how pressured life was. So he and I would just call each other by phone and, and go see movies. 
we go see a movie together as a, as a couple of guys, and we'd share a bag of popcorn. And I remember how many times I, I, I don't remember how many times I called up Susie and said, hey, Susie, any chance Mike can come out and play? She'd always laugh, oh, Bruce, of course. Well, we were, we were on the phone not long ago just chatting with each other about the amazing opportunity that we would have to be reunited again for a short reunion in May when I make my way up to Michigan. And we laughed, we talked, we shared uh, how God's been blessing our lives. And then Saturday of all things, just this past Saturday of all things, I got a phone call from one of my other four guys, one of my best buddies. He says, Bruce, did you hear the news? I said, no, what's the news? He says, Mike's uh, gone home to be with the Lord. He's on the business trip down in Florida and had a massive heart attack. I just remember, you know, you know, when you get to our age, guys, guys don't cry. We weep. We get a little misty-eyed. And that's how I felt at the end of that phone call. I thought, oh, the first thing i got to do is call Susie and tell her I'm praying for her. And anything she needs, just give me a shout. So I thought, well, I don't have Susie's cell phone, but I'm sure she has Mike's by now. So I called Mike's cell phone, and I heard his voice, the recorded voice. And you hear your buddy like that. You hear his voice when you know that he's now with Jesus. And I just lost it again. But ever since then, it's been special because today's a special day. Today's his memorial service, and I can't be there. It's, it's one of those awful things where services like that happen so soon. And if you're any distance away, it's an impossibility to get there. So I'm thinking about Mike today, and I'm thinking about my good friend Susie today, and all my kids call him Uncle Mike. I've talked to my kids and told them the sad news, and Uncle Mike is now with Jesus. And I'm thinking to myself, well, here's a great guy that God worked through through some really difficult moments in his life to bring him to the point of being one of the most influential individuals in the state of Michigan. He was listed by the Detroiter as the 27th most influential man in, in, in the state of Michigan. He's a great follower of Jesus. But he had that gift. He had that skill. He had that commitment to the Lord to touch the lives of other people because the results that God wanted in his life, God was able to get those as Mike lived every single day for Jesus Christ. What about for the rest of us? For as many days or years that God has on this earth for us, what kind of man are we going to become? if we respond to the word of God so that we're not stubborn, and we respond to the word of God so we're not just trying to trick God out of our misunderstanding of our own circumstance, if we could just respond to God with the most difficult challenge that we as men have, and that's in the world of finance, can we respond to God with the kind of generosity and commitment to say, my dependence is not upon my financial resources, but it's upon Almighty God whom I trust for everything in my life. Will I be stubborn and say, God, this is a complication. I mean, you're blessing these guys. You're not blessing me. How in the world can you reconcile all that? If we think that we've got something over God, we're just like the Pharisees. If we're the kinds of people who see what God is doing, but we don't respond to it and say, well, eh, I'm just too busy. Nah, that doesn't really quite fit with me. If our stubborn spirit will not allow us to submit to what God wants us to do, we will not become the man of God that God wants us to be. 
result that God wants in our life. He's thought it through. He knows what it takes. Will we be willing to respond to what God has to say to us? Become a man of God. Don't let money, don't let stubbornness, don't let any kind of bitterness that feels like we've got shortchanged to stand in the way of us becoming the kind of man of God that he wants us to be. Have a great table talk, guys. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the Fellowship Center of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day.